Right, so today is going to be a little bit different theme. Uh, I'm not going to list how many days we are into flatten the curve like I normally would because this is not going to be political in any way, shape, or form. Well, maybe I shouldn't say that. I, I shouldn't count the chickens before they hatch because the – that's a good, nice Midwestern phrase, mm -hmm. isn't it? Because the um, – the, the fact is, is that the reason we don't have what we're going to discuss today, I think is largely in part due to politics, but we'll discuss that in what we're going to talk about today on The Break Room. Right. So joining today to discuss this, and quite frankly, I really needed this, was someone who discussed exactly what he stands for on the very first podcast where we talked about this subject, and that is comedy. And that is somebody that has a voice for television and a face for radio. Marty Foster. Marty, how are you? Uh, you cheeky bastard. Yes, yes, I'm well. Sorry. Maybe uh, that was a bit quiet because I was too far away from the microphone. Just for the benefit of the listener, I have been insulted by Johnny, although actually, if it's true, <laughs> is it really an insult? Is it actually more an, uh, of an observation? Um, but you yeah, said I'm, it. I was just, I, I was, I was bringing. Did I say first, that? You did say that. You said you had a voice for television and a face for radio. That's on the first comedy podcast we did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I can't complain. I was tying the old with the new. That's all I'm doing. So. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm very well. Thank you very much for asking. How are you? I'm fine. And as I was discussing with you a little bit uh, pre-record, uh, we did not do a prep session because we were kind of waiting to see whether or not Ned was going to come in to join us. And he might yet. We're not sure. But I was going over some of the uh, some of the new literature that I'm going to be delving into or that I'm currently delving into. And you said, boy, you really do need a comedy podcast, don't you? And I said, yeah. So we're going to discuss comedy today and where it was. We've got some some audio from some of our favorite clips, uh, you know, our comedy sketches that we liked over the years, just a few of them for sake of time and, and everything else and kind of where it is now and uh, how things have progressed because of politics and, and all the rest of it. And it's just comedy, in my opinion, is is certainly not what it used to be. And it's it's changed a lot even over the last four to five years. Uh, it's gotten even more bland and dull and just, yeah, I'm, I'm not very not very thrilled with it. But anyway, where would you like to start? You're um, the big entertainment buff. You you point out all this stuff, and Ned and I were kind of discussing you, this a little bit. You're just setting me up for a fall, aren't you, really? No, uh, no, of course not. entertainment no. buff. No. Um, I, I probably do uh, absorb more entertainment than you do, which is, you're quite right, you do need to take a step back every now and then and ha have a good laugh. The trouble is, I've been uh, knowing that we were going to do this this evening, and I've been trying to get into a, a funny mood uh, all day, and it, it I, I have not achieved it. And they, I like, they do say that uh, humour is like a fart. If it has to be forced, it's probably shit. So you you never want to just is that a joke try really to want? be funny. <laughs> you you never you never want to try to be funny. Just let it happen, and and you have to take the some of the funniest people I know are the people who will just be in the middle of a conversation or sitting on the sidelines of a conversation and just at the right point respond to what somebody said, uh, and and it it can be hilarious. But the two clips that I've picked out tonight that uh, we went through earlier on. The first one is simply absurd. It's it's ridiculous. And it's uh, uh, just laughing at absurdity. 
because we get these things that are absurd in life and if you don't laugh at them you will cry and the second clip and i might it might be a bit too much for clue but it's it's the absurdity of religion you know when we get to them we'll, well I'll, I'll talk about them in, in in greater detail but they're two of my favorite clips and i understand you've got one that you're saving for me I've, and, yeah uh, i'm saving one i picked out two myself and i and i'll be honest with you i looked at it this morning just to make sure that i picked out the right one and it was still available and it was and i was laughing so hard as i told you i needed a uh, and i and i've got one ready right here i've got a tissue ready to wipe the tears away from my face now before you yeah and you asked me if it was an american <laughs> skit and i said yes and the reason that I, I picked this one is because I really, truly believe this one's going to make you laugh. Now, I played this for some uh, for some native German speakers, and even they laughed at it. So it should be pretty good for you. Well, yeah, to, to make a German laugh, you either have to tickle them or fall off a ladder. I can never pronounce this correctly. Is it Schadenfreude or what is it? It means basically to laugh at others' misfortune. Um, it, I'll be honest it, with you. I don't know that word, but okay. You I'm don't just, know it. I do not know that word. No, because I don't laugh at the things that they do. So I, well, I don't know it, that word. The Germans always mash words together, don't they? They do, yeah. Like the the word for uh, butterfly. Schmetterling, um, yeah. Schmetterling. The word for bat is Fledermouse. Uh, yeah, flying mouse, yeah. Flying mouse. Yeah. And uh, ambulance is Krankenwagen. Sick wagon. Sick wagon. And it's, um, it's strange. You know, the, the way they mash these words together. But yeah. to describe the mainstream of German humor, it's a word. And perhaps people can message in uh, on the Telegram page or whatever. I thought it was Schadenfreude, uh, but I, I can't be certain. So, yeah. You did well. It's a, it must be a good one if it made Germans laugh. Yeah, and then the second one, of course, I'll. Uh, that's more of a, a modern thing. It's it's like a it's an MC thing, and I, I think we even played part of it here once before. But I'm going to do it again because uh, it was somebody that just had nothing to lose. At least so I thought so. Uh, and it's a British uh, comedian, and it's a, it was a different kind of comedian. Uh, everybody knows him, of course. Uh, and th this individual usually he does the uh, the cringe comedy. We've talked about that before. People probably already know who it is. This time it was not a cringe piece that he was doing while he was doing a, a little stand up MC thing there. So. Uh, that was uh, something that I, at least in the modern time, you know, in the last few years, that's something that I thought was still very funny uh, to be done because it was done at everyone else's expense. So some of the comedy that I found hilarious when I was growing up, there was a particular TV series called Not the Nine O'Clock News. And that's where Rowan Atkinson first hit the scene of the uh, Mr. On, Bean. on television. Mr. Bean, uh, Griff Reese. Jones and Mel Smith and another really good comics wife, it Billy Colonley's wife, uh, Pamela Stevenson, were the team on on not the nine o'clock news. The reason I found it funny was I didn't really understand politics at age 10, 11 or 12. And some of it was probably a bit too risque for someone of such tender years. But I, I used to uh, lap that stuff up. It was really, really funny. But satire nowadays upsets me. It doesn't matter what side of the fence it's coming from. 
politically, and I know we're not going to be political tonight, but political satire at the moment really, really annoys me. It instantly turns me off, which is why I picked absurdity this evening rather than satire. You know, the, the, one of the things that I remember is, um, I don't really want to say growing up, but because growing up for me was, uh, and I, I talked about this on prep a little bit last week on one of the prep sessions with Ned. What, one of the growing up Car, uh, not car, well, actually, yeah, one, uh, that's interesting. One of the growing up cartoons that I remember, of course, everybody knows The Simpsons. Uh, and that was, yeah, I, that I used was to be funny. fully grown by the yeah, time that of course, on television. But, but the yeah. symptoms, yeah, the, sim- the symptoms, the Simpsons, <laughs> <laughs> the Simpsons, they actually used to be funny. I remember that, that cartoon being funny and then it wasn't. I think it's just, it's been on too long. And I believe it's still on, isn't it? I, I think they still do. Yeah, things. yeah, it's still going. But the, the thing is, I don't know how they've done it. And I, I don't know if it's just a trick of the amount of material they've produced, but the predictions that show has made. That is true, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely uncanny. There's some very clever writing. But the character who runs the 7-Eleven, Abu. Abu, yeah. Yeah. The quickie mark. Uh, <laughs> the quickie mark. That's it. The quickie mark. Sorry, not the Seven Eleven, but the the quickie mark. Obviously, Homer's in there, and he's doing something with the slushy machine to get free slushies or something. It's squishies in the Simpsons. It's not. Slushies. Is it squishies? It's squishies. Right. Yeah. Okay. And Abu shouts out, "Mr. Simpson, you are barred." And Homer goes, "Don't." And as he leaves, he goes, "Thank you. Come again." Woohoo! Uh, it's just it is it is funny. Those are the only two sort of impressions of Simpsons characters that I could do. But it's it's funny. Uh, it used to be very funny, and it is uncanny how prophetic it has been over the years. But every single piece of American entertainment these days has to have a moral. And so there's always a moral woven into the story. And I was going to mention this the other night. When we were talking maybe one or two podcasts ago, I said, I've got another point to make, but I've forgotten what it was. And it was in British television, you could never uh, portray someone getting away with a crime. And we know people get away with crimes all the time, but they were not allowed to make a drama, a comedy, a film, um, where someone gets away with a crime because the moral had to be crime doesn't pay. And, you know, that is slowly but surely changing. And stuff that we're, we're producing nowadays, you can see more and more people getting away with it in dramas, in comedies, in, in film. But I digress slightly. I, I just, I'm just so happy I remembered what it was I was going to say about two weeks ago. <laughs> I think that they've, you know, speaking on that point, I think that they've actually been able to get away with more and more things over time. Uh, if you take a, a comedy show that, I, and I again, I mentioned this last week in one of our prep sessions, Married with Children, you know, Al Bundy, everybody knows Al Bundy. Of course you do. Yeah. Uh, and they could not have picked a better character to play that, or a better guy to play that character. Uh, Ed O'Neill did a fantastic job with that. But that show, for the time, you know, we're, we're talking early 90s here, for the time, that was a groundbreaking show. Uh, and they did a lot of things on late night television that a a lot of other shows were not doing because it was, in a very real sense, it was quite, it was quote pushing the envelope, as we like to say. Uh, and they they did a lot of things that were not popular at the time. Another one that came on, and I mentioned it last week, was uh, Tim Allen's. Uh, was based on his stand up comedy. Uh, was Home Improvement the yeah. uh, the series that he did? And I thought again that that wasn't um, that wasn't as crude as uh, as Married with Children, but that was. 
that was a great series. Uh, as a matter of fact, I actually own the whole series. Uh, I've I bought it a, f- a number of years ago, but I have all of it, and it's it's still funny to go back and watch, you know, because it was it was done before all of this this introduction of just this you know th- this ridiculous insanity that we have now. So it, it was it was groundbreaking. Uh, I haven't watched that much of it, you know, Married with Children. I've seen seen some episodes but even now it's still it it can stand the test of time some comedies simply don't wear well they don't carry across a couple of decades others certainly do and i think the reason is that that one was particularly ahead of its time there was no profanity in it but it was the subject matter that it was covering um and it shows you that comedy knows no bounds. You can you can make just about anything funny. Well, speaking of two shows that actually could stand the test of time, I do believe uh, one was uh, I believe it was called All in the Family. Archie Bunker. Do you know, do you ever know who Archie Bunker was? I Back can in the day. vaguely picture him. Yes. Yeah, it was played by a guy named Carol O'Connor, the the angry, grumpy old man that sat on the. It was married with children for its time, I think. Uh, yeah. And it was um, it was him sitting on well, the uh, the couch or whatever the the, the chair and always bitching about something uh, and complaining well, yeah, about something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, of course that will carry and resonate with me. I am a grumpy yeah. old man and do enjoy a good sit on the couch. And and I've I've always got something to bitch about. So yeah, I I can relate to Archie. Uh, as a matter of fact, I've actually pulled another clip here. Uh, this is a, a classic TV show that was uh, that was aired in the U.S. many years ago. It was called Barney Miller, uh, and it was about it was about these guys, uh, these these uh, crime detectives and, and things that um, yeah, it was a comedy show, but it was about these crime you know uh, cops and crime detectives and things that were investigating cases and whatnot. Uh, and this, I, I think, you can actually you can see the relevance. Of the, again, I'm not going to get into politics, but you can see this kind of sh- this show is still on on late night TV in America. It's still on uh, on reruns. But this is kind of what they used to say back in the day. You mentioned earlier about the Simpsons and predictions. Listen to this one. They're the ones you should be arresting, not me. Why didn't you say that before? <laughs> what we got here? Cam, this is William Klein. He was wrecking an office. But I, I just wanted to meet them face to face. I wanted them to admit what they were doing. Who is they? He was in the office of the Trilateral Commission. The Trilateral Commission? Yeah, the Trilateral Commission. <laughs> All right, what is the Trilateral Commission? It's an organization founded in 1973 by David Rockefeller to bring together business and political leaders from the United States, Europe, Japan, so they could work together for uh, better economic and political cooperation between their nations. That, that's what they'd like us to believe. But you see, what they're really up to is a scheme to plant their own loyal members in positions of power in this country to work to erase national boundaries and create an international community and in time bring about a one world government with David Rockefeller calling the shots. (laughs) I take it they're pressing charges? Yeah, well, uh, uh, he broke a globe and uh, and some UNICEF artwork. Well, they're they're in on it, too. (laughs) Okay, Mr. Klein, if you just... I'm telling you, our whole way of life as we know it is in jeopardy. I appreciate that information. But I have have the documented evidence. It's all in there. Show him. Well, he's got uh, got these magazines here. 
Conspiracy review? Suppressed truth roundup? Oh, master plan is exposed. Yeah, well, um... You're still not convinced, huh? <laughs> would, would you like to hear the names of just a few of the people who have been on the Trilateral Commission? Uh, not particularly. James no. Earl Carter. Heard of him? Look, Mr. Klein... Henry Kissinger. You heard of him? Walter Mondale. Who? <laughs> Mr. Klein, this is John all... Anderson, George Bush. Now, you remember at the at the convention, everybody thought it was going to be Ford for Veep. You know what happened? David Rockefeller just picked up a phone, put in a call. Hey, Ronnie, forget Jerry, it's George. Bye. So, no matter who won in November, they had their man in the White House. Are you through? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's... Uh... <laughs> I have seen that clip, and it's just prophetic. Not pathetic, prophetic. And that was made in the 70s, wasn't it? 1981 uh, is when that was aired. Oh, sorry, yeah. 81. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It, that, that episode is when that was aired, 81, yeah. But it was, yeah. it was made in the 70s, and they had others, but that was one of them, yeah. Yeah. You see, it's funny. Hollywood had been trying to tip us off on, on things, and, and the production houses making you know uh, the networks making sitcoms have been trying to tip us off for a long time but now they've been overrun haven't they they have yeah. so now now without getting political now the messages and the narrative has flipped and you'll get comedians which is why i won't listen to satire or watch uh, satirists comedians talking about politics now because it's uh, it's it's just not funny because they're trying to do it for woke reasons because they think they're right on to be leftist. But in the end, actually, they're just making themselves look more stupid. Uh, and that's a real cringe. I mean, The Office, you used to laugh through the cringe in The Office. Some of the stuff that this guy that you're going to show later on has all has done it's, it's ricky gervais but yeah it's ricky has. gervais yeah you really are laughing with him but the, rather than laughing out of nervousness at how awkward the situation is in in his later stuff i can't remember the name of the last series that i they did uh, was afterlife um, afterlife that was it yeah there was a netflix, netflix series absolutely outstanding the stuff he did in extras was brilliant and and it was I, a totally different type of comedy really yeah i thought i thought what he did with extras uh i i thought that was because uh, i i went for obviously from the office to extras to watch his stuff because i i loved what he did with the office I, it was a you know cringeworthy kind of thing we actually got that in the u.s and it was very successful the british version of, of the office uh, before the american version came along uh with steve carell but the series that he did afterwards with extras i thought was almost the exact opposite, you know, in terms of the the cringe comedy with that. But I, maybe that was in part due to the fact they brought in all the the big name actors for each uh, episode. To yeah, play it like was part. those big names that were being self-effacing and saying stuff that made them look silly. They they were sending themselves sending themselves up um, as opposed to in the office where Gervais was the the butt of of most of the comedy because you were cringing at how he responded but there was another character in and i'm really i'm still pissed off about this australian guy i worked with out in um abu dhabi good friend of mine but um 
because he was one of the instructors and I was a quality control officer within the institution, uh, he got the impression that I was like Finchy in the office. But that's the British version. I don't know if you've got the same... I know who Finchy was, Ameri- yes. He was the, yeah. the very outlandish and outspoken and, and crazy Well, yeah, he'd, he'd just pervert. blow in. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, uh, definitely a pervert. He'd just blow <laughs> in, uh, call everybody rubbish, be loud and obnoxious, and then walk out again, which was the impression that Steve had, I'm going to say just his first name, that Steve had of me, because I would walk into his office and say... All right, mate, let's talk about this, this, and this. You're getting that wrong. You could do this better. And yeah, we need to tighten up on this. And then I'll just piss off again. So that's why he called me Finchie. He still calls me Finchie to this day. It was that as you were on your way down to the pub, because that's what Finchie would do all the time. It was just as soon as. Oh, Steve and I would go to the pub together. Yeah. <laughs> the last time, I'm not, I've not, even if I was in Australia, I wouldn't be allowed to go out with him again because I wrote him off. You know, these Australians with their, their image of hard drinking, can drink a, a, a pom under the table, not Steve. Um, I completely destroyed him. It's not big and it's not clever, but I did have to hose him down in the shower after he was rather unwell in the taxi. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Um, Let's get to uh, these clips that you've got here. We'll get to um, the first one. Would you like to explain the first one about uh, what time? Okay. Uh, Yeah. The first one, this is just pure absurdity. This is the goons, or it might have been on Q8 or something like that. But it it was, um, I think the two people uh, playing this are Peter Sellers and Spike Milligan. And they're, they're being Blue Bottle and Eccles. And it's it's all about someone needing to know what the time is. So you might as well just play the clip now. <laughs> what time is it, Eccles? Uh, just a minute. I, I got it written down here on a piece of paper. A nice man wrote the time down for me this morning. Ah, then why do you carry it around with you, I guess? Well, um, if uh, anybody asks me the time, I, I can show it to them. Wait a minute, I guess, my good man. What is it, fellow? It's written on this bit of paper. What is eight o'clock is written? I know that, my good fellow. That's right. Um, when I asked a fellow to write it down, it was eight o'clock. Well, then, supposing when somebody asks you the time, it isn't eight o'clock. Well, then I don't show it to them. <laughs> Okay. He, he goes on uh, at, at, at the end of that to say, oh, I wish I could afford a piece of paper with a time on it. It's uh, it's absurd, but you, you heard the audience, that's a live audience, uh, start to laugh as soon as Peter Sellers did the Blue Bottle uh, voice. That's because those characters had been in sketch after sketch after sketch in The Goon Show. The audience knew and loved. They they almost it's almost like they know what they're going to get 
from the the voice because it was radio at first. So it was all over um, yeah. radio before they did any TV. So the, the the people listening at home on radio, as soon as they heard that voice, they knew what was coming. The absurdity was coming. Right. So the the live audience thing, and this is what led me to pick the uh, uh, the clip that I picked. Uh, and this is this is something again that it made me laugh, and I'm hoping that it's going to do the same for you, Marty. But this was um, this was from uh, the Dean Martin show back in. Yeah, uh, maybe you've seen this, maybe you've not, or maybe you've not seen this. But this was live improv. None of this was was scripted. Nothing. It was just someone would just come out and and it would be just organic, and they would just come up with things right off the uh, the cuff. You know, that's that's what it would be. It was uh-huh. never. Yeah, it was never uh, something that was preplanned. It just like everybody knew who was going to be there. And so, but sometimes they didn't. They would just show up on stage. But obviously it was always Dean's show. But these people would just show up and it would just be a, a complete improv and, and no scripting whatsoever. But this is uh, Dean Martin and Foster Brooks on the airline pilot. Hey, Dean, what are you going to do this weekend? Well, Ken, I was thinking maybe I'd go to Disneyland. I hear they got a great new ride there called the Haunted Mansion. Frank Sinatra took a girl there last week, and it scared the pants off him. (laughs) At least that's what he told the judge. (laughs) But, you know, Frank is a different kind of guy. Excuse me, are you, have you ever been in Schenectady? No, I never was in Schenectady. Neither was I. I must have been a couple other guys. But I still have a feeling I've seen your face someplace else. No, it's always been right here. Right on top of my neck. Maybe you've seen me on television. Oh, oh no, I've never been on television. <laughs> See, is, is it all? Oh, all right. If I if, if if I join you, I I just dropped in for a little drink to settle my nerves before I go to work. Work. What 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 sort of work do you do? I'm an airline pilot. <laughs> How did you get to be an airline pilot? I used I used to be a bu- bu- I used to be a bu- bus driver, but I, I quit. Too too many too many drunks on the road. What do you fly? Oh, it's one of those big big gray gray metal things with what you call it sticking out on the side. Are you an airline pilot? No, I've been pretty high in my time. Did you ever have any close calls as a pilot? Oh, yes, sir, especially since they moved the men's room to the back of the plane. I was on a, a flight from New York to L.A. a couple weeks ago, and the plane lost an engine. Oh, don't worry, it'll turn up. You know... There's a lot, lot of pre- pressure being a pilot, flying way up there and high in the air and all above all those white fl- fluffy things. Clouds? You sure you're not a pilot? 
eating out at the same time. Time, it, it's a, it's quite a sobering thought and a very inspiring fe feeling to realize that there are hundreds, hundreds of people on my plane, all depending on me. <laughs> And to that I, I happen to hold, hold their lives right in the palm, palm of my hand. <laughs> oh, oh, I got it, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> I got. I got. Uh, I got to get to the airport because I'm flying a seven four seven forty. I'm flying a seven forty seven to L London tonight, and then the plane is scheduled to leave uh, precisely one hour and forty three minutes ago. <laughs> Now that's funny. Yeah, that that is funny. It, it is improv as well. You can tell. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things I, I like to do uh, when I'm on stage is, well, during the rehearsals, really, is corpse another actor. By that I mean you make them laugh. And I don't know what the guy, the the airline pilot, I can't remember what his name there, uh, but Foster he. Brooks. Foster Brooks, he absolutely destroyed Dean Martin with laughter. You can see, obviously, the listeners can't see, but on the clip you just showed me, that's, Dean that's Martin <laughs> is, is crying with laughter. He can barely get his next line out, you know. I think that's that, what made it even right? more funny. That's what made it even more yeah. funny was the fact that he he just he couldn't. And that was the thing about about Dean Martin. He if you go back and you watch his old variety shows like that, he was like that in, in almost all of those clips where they would do something like that, where it would just be so funny. He would not be able to control it. And and he would just be dying of laughter. And that's what made it even funnier. He's quite a versatile man. I mean, he could sing a bit. He did. Uh, we call them shit kickers. You'd call them Westerns. Or history documentaries in the states. <laughs> um, so he did a few yeah. western, yeah. But he also did a lot of comedy films with Jerry Lewis, didn't he? He did. Uh, yeah, he he did do that. And Jerry Lewis was on his show uh, quite a few times, as well as uh, Frank Sinatra. And they did comedy sketches together on on those uh, improv shows, and it was really funny. Yeah, some of the stuff they would do. But he always played that heavy drinker, the belching mid sentence from oh, I've forgotten his name already. Foster Brooks. Foster Brooks. That's because he's got two last names. Yes. Foster's a last name. <laughs> he, he that's, that's what that. they, they did several of those. He did the airline pilot. There was a dentist. There was a brain surgeon. Mm. And and there was one that was actually but based on a Western that they did before. They were linking, call it improv. Improv sort of changed a bit. But what they were doing was linking one-liners or comedy portions i would say it's like where when he said their life is in my hands and his hands are shaking like crazy that joke carried on into blazing saddles you've seen blazing saddles oh yeah mel brooks yeah absolutely yeah mel mel brooks and oh gene wilder gene wilder so gene wild gene wilder's the gunslinger and he says uh, oh no I, ca I can't shoot anymore look at my hands 
and he holds his hand out and it's he goes as steady as a rock. He says, yeah, but this is my shooting hand as the hand's wobbling all, all over the place. They're kind of, in that improv there, they're kind of using comedy Lego. They're building blocks to, to put together something. So, and, and we had a comedian in the United Kingdom called Bob Monkhouse and uh, he, he used to host a lot of game shows and occasionally you'd have an audience with Bob Monkhouse. Uh, I watched what an audience with Kylie Minogue or started to. It was in the Royal Albert Hall. It was filled with celebrities and she came on singing. It was the most boring piece of crap I've ever watched 15 minutes of before turning it over. But when Bob Monkhouse did an audience with, people would be asking for jokes on any, on any subject because he kept joke books. He listened to lots and lots of different comedians, wrote their stuff down, and he used to write jokes for other comedians as well. So he had a joke on every topic and could just put a whole show together, linking joke after joke after joke, and it all seemed to have a thread to it it all seemed to be following some kind of script but it wasn't it was totally unscripted so those two guys there in that clip they have all these comedy pieces these comedy nuggets these comedy lego bricks in in their heads and they can piece them together and it, it's ta it's talent but it's the kind of talent that can only be achieved with time done you know, they have to put the hours in to get that. It, it looks unscripted. It kind of is unscripted, but that's only because they've got all those little bits stored away. Yeah, and one of the other improv shows, since we're talking on improv, we'll get over to your next clip here, but um, one of the uh, the improv shows that I liked, I was telling you about this the other day, was uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway? The British version. I know yeah. the Americans did a version later with Drew Carey, uh, and they brought a couple of those guys back, um, uh, Colin Mockery and, and Ryan Stiles, and they had Wayne Brady on there, who uh, was, was a singer. And it was a, it was a pretty funny show the American version, but uh, I always found that the British version was actually funnier. I remember watching the British version like 20 years ago uh, and seeing that, well, and it was the, it was really funny. The host of, of the British version, and I can't remember his name, was actually a, a barrister before we moved into uh, stand-up. He did a little bit of stand-up, had some success, uh, but then he wound up on panel shows a lot because he was a very smart man and knew the law, knew some big words. And the funny thing is, the more big words you know, the easier it is to do double entendres and innuendo. And, of course, all of the uh, improv uh, actors on Whose Line Is It Anyway were going for those things that would make the audience laugh by saying something that would probably be perfectly mundane and normal to say, but in the situation they were given, it turned it into utter filth, hilarious, rude comedy. Uh, and again, they didn't they didn't use profanity on that show, but they were able to really, you know, make people fall around hysterically laughing by the cleverness of, of their improv. Right. So let's get to your next clip here. Would you like to give a uh, an intro as to what this is or prelude rather to what this is going to be? Well, anyone who's listened to us over the last nearly four years now will know that I'm not a big fan of religion. I don't deny anyone's right to have a faith. In, in fact, I think everyone should believe in something. But I particularly like this movie because it pokes fun at religion. Anything that is so serious that you can't poke fun at it, 
you really do have to question that thing. So without further ado, off you go. Obviously, uh, it's funny to watch as well because you've got this massive crowd there uh, being told that they're all individuals and all replying as one, as though they, they've got no identity of, the, of their own. <laughs> he's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. You, you, can't, you can't get a better line than that uh, in, in, a, in a show, in a film. It's just the absurdity of everyone following the same path. And and I obviously, when the film came out, it got a lot of criticism from the establishment, from the Church of England, from the Catholic Church, and they needed, they needed to be taken down a peg or two. It's a pity that someone hasn't made the life of Bill so that if we could do the same thing, if we get Monty Python together and make the life of Bill Gates, that is, and just have that arsehat torn to shreds by their wicked sense of humour. Can that, we do the life that, of I George mean, too? 
Can, can we do that too? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they'd, they'd all be part of it. And Klaus. It? We got to do Life of Klaus. Yeah. yeah again, got to do that too. I think so few people globally are aware of who Quab is or who Soros actually is, but they all know who Bill Gates is. So I would, if I was to write that, and in fact, by just saying this now, I've probably just just lost a, a, a multi-million dollar film, you know, screenplay deal. But someone should write it and write all of those bastards into it and rip the piss out of them. Last piece, uh, we're going to get to this, uh, and this is this is kind of like the the newer age stuff. But I watched this guy's series, and we talked about it a little bit. Uh, was uh, Ricky Gervais? He did uh, the Office, the the UK version of the Office. He did extras, as you said, and Afterlife, and he's been in several films and, and done a lot of stand up over the years. And I I genuinely think, and at first, many years ago, when I saw him on the Office, I thought, okay, this is just you know this is a bit strange. But then I started to understand it was just a different kind of comedy, and I. Had to you know had to adjust to it, but as I saw the things that he used to, that he would do over and over again, it, it just got more funny to me. And the, he used to be the uh, the host of the of the Golden Globes until finally they just said, "Okay, we don't want you to come back after this year." Well, this is this is three years ago at the Golden Globes, and this was his final uh, night as MC at that. And I, I think he he just. This is a few minutes long, but it's worth it. He hit it out of the park. Hello, and welcome to the 77th Annual Golden Globe Awards, live from the Beverly Hilton Hotel here in Los Angeles. I'm Ricky Gervais. Thank you. Um, you'll, you'll be pleased to know this is the last time I'm hosting these awards, so I don't care anymore. Um, I'm joking. I never did. Um, NBC clearly don't care either. Fifth time. So, I mean, Kevin Hart was fired from the Oscars because of some offensive tweets. Hello. <laughs> Lucky for me, the Hollywood foreign press can barely speak English. And uh, that is true. They've no idea what Twitter is. Yeah. So I got offered this gig by fax. So let's go out with a bang. Let's have a laugh at your expense, shall we? Remember, they're just jokes. We're all going to die soon, and there's no sequel. So, yeah, remember that. Um, but you all look lovely, all doled up. You came here in your limos. I came here in a limo tonight, and the license plate was made by Felicity Huffman. So, no, shush. It's her, it's her daughter I feel sorry for, okay? That must be the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to her. And her dad was in Wild Hogs. So, <laughs> lots of big celebrities here tonight. I mean, legends, icons, yeah? Look, at this table alone, uh, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro. But... <laughs> Baby Yoda. Uh, oh, that's, that's Joe Pesci, sorry. Um, I love you, man. Don't have me whacked. Um, but tonight isn't just about the people in front of the camera. In this room are some of the most important TV and film executives in the world. People from every background, but they all have one thing in common. They're all terrified of Ronan Farrow. <laughs> He's coming for you. He's coming for you. Look, talking of all you perverts, it was a big year. It was a big year for paedophile movies. Um, surviving R. Kelly, Leaving Neverland, Two Popes. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. I don't care. I don't care. 
many talented people of colour were snubbed in major categories. Um, unfortunately, there's nothing we can do about that. The Hollywood foreign press are all very, very racist. So, <laughs> fifth time. So, we were going to do an in memoriam this year, but when I saw the list of people that had died, it wasn't diverse enough. It just, no. It was mostly white people. And I thought, nah, not on my watch. So, maybe next year. Let's, let's see what happens. No one cares about movies anymore. No one goes to cinema. No one really watches network TV. Everyone's watching Netflix. This show should just be me coming out going, well done, Netflix, you win everything. Good night. But no, no, we've got to drag it out for three hours. You could binge watch the entire first season of Afterlife instead of watching this show. That, that's a show about a man who wants to kill himself because his wife dies of cancer. And it's still more fun than this, OK? That is Spoiler true. alert. Um, season two is on the way, so in the end, he obviously didn't kill himself. Just like Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> sure it is. I know he's your friend, but I don't care. <laughs> you had to make your own way here in your own plane, didn't you? Right, but m seriously, most films are awful. Lazy, remakes, sequels. I've heard a rumour that there might be a sequel to Sophie's Choice. I mean, that'd just be Meryl Streep going, well, it's got to be this one then. <laughs> All the best actors have jumped to Netflix and HBO, you know, and the actors who just do Hollywood movies now do fantasy adventure nonsense. They wear masks and capes and really tight costumes. Their job isn't acting anymore. It's going to the gym twice a day and taking steroids, really. Have we got a... Have we got an award for most ripped junkie? No. No point. We know he'd win that. Um, Martin Scorsese, the greatest living director, made the news for his controversial comments about the Marvel franchise. He said they're not real cinema and uh, they remind him of theme parks. I agree. Although I don't know what he's doing hanging around theme parks. He's not big enough to go on the rides, is he? <laughs> it's tiny. Even Scorsese says it's true. Yeah, yeah. Right. The Irishman was amazing. It was amazing. Um, look, it was. My, my, it was great. Uh, long, but amazing. Um, it wasn't the only epic movie. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, nearly three hours long. Leonardo DiCaprio attended the premiere, and by the end, his date was too old for him. So... <laughs> And yet Leo's laughing at that. He's laughing at it because he knows it's true. Even Prince Andrew's like, come on, Leo, mate. You know, <laughs> you're nearly 50, son. Um, the world got to see James Corden as a fat pussy. He was also in the movie Cats, but no one saw that. Um, and the reviews, oh, shocking. I saw one that said, this is the worst thing to happen to cats since dogs, right? <laughs> but Dame Judi Dench defended the film, saying it was the role she was born to play, because she... <laughs> I can't do this next joke. <laughs> because she loves nothing better than plonking herself down on the carpet, lifting her leg and licking her... <laughs> <laughs> they had to cut it, yeah. Yeah. <coughs> Furball, Furball. She's old school. Um, 
<laughs> it's the last time, who cares? <laughs> oh. Apple roared into the, the TV game with a morning show. A superb drama, yeah. A superb drama about the importance of dignity and doing the right thing, made by a company that runs sweatshops in China. So, well, you say you're woke, but the companies you work for, I mean, unbelievable. Apple, Amazon, Disney. If ISIS started a streaming service, you'd call your agent, wouldn't you? So, if you do win an award tonight, don't use it as a, a platform to make a political speech, right? You're in no position to lecture the public about anything. You know nothing about the real world. Most of you spent less time in school than Greta Thunberg. So, if you win, right, come up, accept your little award, thank your agent and your God, and So... It's already three hours long. <laughs> Right, let's do the first award. The first award. <laughs> the first award is for best actor in a television series, musical or comedy. To present the award... Of a right, there you go. Yeah, there you go. It must be wonderful to not care because that guy and a lot of people in that room are so talented that they will find work and make money from what doing what they love any time so to to be able to stand there and insult the entire room like that and get away with it it hasn't harmed his career one iota uh, and yet all that was was a series of truth bombs uh it, it writes itself all you got to do is work out what the truth is and say it which is entertaining in itself because no f***er else is saying the truth at the moment well, my friend, it has been uh, an absolute slice to talk about something other than politics. I really did enjoy this one. Uh, it was it was really fun to just kind of sit back and put our feet up and, and have an actual candid conversation about something that makes us both laugh from both sides of the pond. Yeah, yeah, uh, in, indeed. There must be something good about American sitcoms. Otherwise, British people wouldn't watch so many of them. But there have been some really, really good ones and some really, really, really bad ones but then again yeah. we've got the same from our, our perspective as well and the true test like you said earlier on if you can show someone whose sense of humor differs from yours something that makes you laugh and they laugh as well then you you can be fairly sure that's good comedy that you're sharing so uh yeah i've enjoyed that i i liked all those clips uh i I hope the listeners, if they haven't seen some of the stuff that we've talked about and played tonight, that they'll go and look it up and find it and give themselves a good laugh to forget all the other crap that's going on. Indeed. I think everybody could use it, especially as we're winding down on the end of the year this year. Two and a half weeks and we are into 2024. My friend, it's been an absolute pleasure. I will see you later in the week. Thank you for being here today. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone and have a great evening.